It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. On DAB+, on the app, talk radio and talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Much to do today. Happy Valentine's Day to those of you who are celebrating it. If you're not celebrating it, that's also fine. You don't need to buy anybody a card. You don't have to buy people flowers. You don't have to do anything at all. You might think it's all a bit too commercial. It might be just too... Well, just do something nice for somebody. That would be all right, wouldn't it? You don't have to buy them anything. Uh, Just do something nice. Make them some tea. Make them some toast. Make them some breakfast. You know, the usual kind of stuff. People will appreciate it. Let me tell you that. Now, uh, we've got plenty to talk about this morning. Uh, We've got to talk about China, obviously, because uh, China is right in the middle uh, of a storm right now, not least because of all these Chinese spy balloons that are apparently appearing all all over the place, from uh, Britain to America to China to all points west, east, north and south of that. Uh, The Chinese, of course, say they're not spy balloons. Uh, The Americans say they're shooting them down. Uh, Rishi Sunak says he's got the RAF on standby to shoot them down. I mean, I've been saying this for a while. It does seem like a very strange story to me, but I really do wonder... Uh, after the journey into work that I had this morning, which was incredibly difficult due to all the traffic, whether these balloons are actually some kind of demonic curse that is attracting all sorts of bad things that actually is affecting the traffic, uh, is affecting the systems that we operate here in the UK. Uh, I wonder if they operate uh, in a way which they in some way interfere with their traffic control. You know, are these actually designed just to create yet more chaos uh, in the West? Because if that was a Chinese mission, that I would believe. The spying part, I just don't really get. But we'll be talking to Stuart Jackson this morning, who's now Lord Stuart Jackson. Uh, He's a peer, of course, Lord Jackson of Peterborough, uh, uh, elevated into the House of Lords just recently. Uh, He's always got some good things to say about all manner of things, and I'm sure he'll have plenty to say about the the Brexit plan, uh, which is underway, supposedly, to unravel Brexit, uh, with the heart of it uh, being run by the Dark Lord, Lord Peter Mandelson. Uh, Front pages uh, also include all kinds of council tax increases going on. Millions face maximum council tax hikes, says the Daily Express. Uh, Coming in April, I'm afraid you're going to be paying yet more money out. But what exactly do you get for your council tax money? I'm going to say not very much. And what we've done here today is we've found some ways that they could actually save money. Because you want to see some of the jobs on offer at various councils. We've looked all over the country. We've looked at Sussex Council, we've looked at some of the councils in London, we've looked at some of the councils up in Cambridge, 
some of the councils around Oxford, some of the councils up in the north of England as well, um, Yorkshire, Humberside. You should see the amount of money that you can earn working for your local council. There are jobs available absolutely everywhere and they pay a pretty penny. And don't worry, you won't have to work more than about 36 hours a week either. Absolutely surely we're reading some of that. Also, of course, uh, we're going to be talking traffic once again because not only was the traffic awful today trying to get around in the capital city, uh, but you've got all sorts of cities and towns under attack because they want to stop people driving. I keep seeing videos of ambulances that can't get through low traffic neighbourhoods in places like Oxford, in places like Bournemouth, in places like Bath, in places like Bristol. Up north in Manchester, they're thinking of putting on a congestion charge. It's happening all over the country. Uh, we've now got the head of Bromley Council coming on this show to tell us why Sadiq Khan and his data are an absolute crock of nonsense. The data doesn't work. It has no scientific basis and it is all being dragged slowly towards this narrative that we must stop driving cars. 0344 499 1000 is the number. We've got loads of people to talk to, loads of things to do. And of course, we want um, your involvement as well. So we know we want to hear from you. 0344 499 1000 is the number. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Let's get it on. Oh, by the way, if that wasn't enough, the front page of The Sun this morning has got an amazing picture, cost of living it up. As Brits struggle with bills, energy bosses send 100 representatives of their company to the Maldives. Why? Because they managed to sign up a load of people to their company's electricity and energy prizes. Uh, utility Warehouse, apparently. An eight-day jolly in the Maldives for signing up new customers. Marvellous, isn't it? Good to know that somebody's making money, somebody's enjoying their life, somebody is getting rewarded while you get absolutely stooped. I'm afraid. Let's talk to Lord Stuart Jackson uh, from the House of Lords because he's a man that knows a thing or two about what's going wrong in this country. Stuart, very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. I mean, we'll get to the council tax first, but what about China? What is going on with these balloons and what on earth um, are we going to do about it? Because I keep reading very strange stories that these things have been around for decades, possibly even longer than that. Why are we suddenly talking about them now? The problem is that you've, uh, because we don't know quite what they are, because the Chinese aren't really going to tell us that it has unfortunately brought out all the UFO crazies. Yes, uh, well, including the American, theorists. well, including the American commander uh, in the US in the US Air Force. Yeah, I think the language has been quite imprecise. Um, I don't think there were little green men or women in these balloons. Uh, I don't think they're anything to do with extraterrestrials. I think they are. Um, a, an obvious sign that, that ch China remains, as it has been for some time, a major strategic threat to the United States and to the UK, uh, and that we must be mindful of uh, what they're trying to do. Obviously, at the moment, we're fighting, uh, the West is effectively fighting Russia uh, over its illegal annexation and, and invasion of Ukraine, but China remains a very major problem and particularly if they decide that it's worth their while taking a risk and invading Taiwan mm. so I think we need to be very much on our guard and to accept that we probably made a mistake 10 12 years ago in cozying up to the Chinese believing that just having trade good trade relations with the Chinese would mean that they would change their system and they would become a mature liberal yeah. democracy because that obviously has not happened. Well, I don't know whether this was the sort of Blair doctrine, but certainly it would seem to me that the way that Britain has approached international affairs since about, I don't know, 2005, 
2010 has been, uh, you know, everybody responds to a bit of gentle conversation. Everybody responds to a little bit of, you know, um, <clears throat> democratic cajoling and a little bit of friendliness. And that's why Russia uh, are no longer in a cold war with us. And that's why we can reach out to China and have good trade relations and everybody wants to be happy. Well, it turns out that was all a crock of absolute rubbish, right? Because the Russians don't want to have particularly nice relations as long as they're uh, not getting what they think they deserve. And the Chinese are constantly searching for new ways to control the rest of the world. Yeah, and the Chinese are seeking uh, industrial uh, and commercial hegemony, effectively, yeah. by, um, by inserting themselves into the higher echelons of society, whether it's culture, higher education, industry, technology. And unfortunately, we've gifted them that opportunity. Mm. And ditto the Russians. We were way too lax about the laundering of illegal monies by Russians for the last 10 or 15 years. And the, the thing about the Russians is you're quite, quite right. They do look at weakness and the weak response, particularly by the Obama administration to the annexation of Crimea and the yeah. Donbass in 2014 was a big mistake. And as you probably saw on the documentary released this week, the decision of uh, Obama uh, to not uh, give Ukraine javelin missiles, anti-tank missiles, was a really big signal to the Russians that actually... The, the US didn't really care about Ukraine and they could do what they like. And that was a fatal flaw, which obviously culminated in the invasion last year. Yeah, absolutely right. And it's almost as though the Foreign Office and, and people in the Department of Defence as well have just sort of taken their eye off the ball, you know, uh, because I know, as I say, you know, we don't really get into the realms of kind of craziness and madness. But I mean, just have a look at Rishi Sunak saying what he said yesterday about these balloons. Well, I want people to know that we'll do whatever it takes to keep the country safe. We have something called the uh, Quick Reaction Alert Force, which involves typhoon planes, which are kept on 24-7 readiness to police our airspace, which is incredibly important. I can't obviously comment in detail on national security matters, but we're in constant touch with our allies. And as I said, we'll do whatever it takes to keep the country safe. I mean, forgive me, it just seems a bit sort of, of an odd thing to say about something which is either not a massive issue uh, or is, because you can't tell from that what it is, really, can you? Yeah, I don't think he would have actually reassured people with that. He would have perhaps worried people yeah. a little bit that you were looking at something that was a bit more ominous and a, a bit more serious as a, as a threat rather than some... Yeah, I mean, why, why are you going to be uh, shooting something out of the sky in order to keep us safe? What, what exactly do you think it's going to do? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the thing. It, it, unless you get the message right, people will be concerned about this. It does, of course, really concentrate minds on the debate over defence spending. It's, yes. a, it's alleged that... Uh, ben Wallace, who's an excellent defence secretary and knows his stuff, is pushing for an extra 10% increase in the defence budget over the next few years. And I think he's absolutely right, because what Ukraine uh, has taught us and uh, and Chinese aggression in the South China Sea is that we have to have the capacity to um, to put hard power in place as well as soft power. It's all very well having diplomatic soft power, yeah. but you need you do need the kit in place. And it's worth saying again, uh, very unfashionable to say, but were it not for Ben Wallace and Boris Johnson at the end of 2021 foreseeing the invasion of Ukraine and giving serious amounts of money and equipment to Ukraine, Ukraine would now have been conquered by Russia. Yes, I think so. 
But going back to China, Telegraph this morning have got a front page story saying that police use of Chinese drones risks UK security. And it turns out um, that something like two thirds of the drones operated by police forces in the UK are made by a Chinese company that is blacklisted in America. I mean, it's yeah, has this... shades of Huawei about it, doesn't it? Yeah. And that is something that really has only concentrated the minds of government for the last perhaps three or four years. Really, actually, COVID, the COVID outbreak in 2020 really made people think about their supply chains, about their over-reliance on technology uh, and research from China and the incursion of the Chinese state through these companies, because mm. there's no such thing as private companies in China. Everything right. is run by the state. And on that basis, I think COVID was not a great thing, but it did at least wake us up to those geopolitical threats that we have from China. And that's why the China um, the China Research Group on the Tory backbench is, is so vociferous in, uh, in holding the government to account on its relationship with China, including sending foreign aid money to China, which, again, people will not understand. No. I mean, I think people do... I mean, I've already got some messages from people asking about the foreign aid to China because, you know, if that is what's regarded as soft power, one, it's not really working, and two, we're not supposed to have any spare money. You know, we're about to talk about council tax going up. People are going to be very fed up when they get a bill that's gone up even more, several hundred pounds a year, uh, because their services are actually now worse than they were before. Yeah, and the thing is, if you have this ridiculous situation, and I... Hold my hands up. I voted for it and I'm embarrassed I did mm. for 0.7 percent of GDP to go on overseas aid or international development. Uh, so you're just shoveling money out the door at the end of the year looking for projects that is going to lead to waste. There are perfectly good and effective ways of delivering international development to the poorest people in the world on a project by project basis. They do it in Canada. Uh, they don't just say, here's a slug of money, spend it however you want. And that way you can concentrate on the poorest parts of the world, such as sub-Saharan Africa. And I don't agree with Andrew Mitchell. He's a good man and he was a very good DFID secretary. But the idea that you can announce to people that you're going to put that back up from 0.5 to 0.7% in a cost of living crisis, people will not wear it while, whilst we're giving serious amounts of money to China and India, for instance. No, absolutely not. Stay with us if you would, Stuart. We're talking about a great many things this morning with Stuart Jackson, Lord Jackson of Peterborough. Uh, the council tax hike, which is going to go up by about £115 a year across England. Uh, we're talking about China. We're talking about the balloons. Also, we will find out about this secret uh, sort of plan, plot, if you like, uh, to try and do away uh, with Brexit or at least reverse parts of it. This is Talk TV. Nationwide, by your side, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV. Lord Beck says this, you do make me laugh, Mike. Those balloons are obviously weather balloons. China already has satellites that spy on us, as do Russia and the USA. They aren't going to use balloons. Well, you say that, uh, but actually the problem with satellite coverage of any part of the Earth is that as you see a satellite coming across, you can actually disguise what it is that the satellite can see because the satellite has a window of opportunity to actually spy on you. That's the theory. That's from somebody that I spoke to uh, who's involved in military espionage right and they say that satellites can actually be fooled and can be duped so don't think that that is the answer john in sutton says china are a big threat to the west they have got huge expansion plans they have threatened to crush anyone who stands in their way we will soon be at war with them 
Well, I certainly hope not. And Karen said, we pay ban G on council tax and don't have streetlights or pavements, police care, or even a doctor to see. The bin men are making a fortune in West Sussex. I'd love us all to stop paying. The courts are jammed. No taxation without accountability and responsibility in all public sector. Well, I think a lot of people are getting sick to the back teeth of simply seeing bills going up and up and up. The council tax, just the latest thing. Um, What's going on inside of the council tax um, sort of offices, Stuart? Because at the end of the day, yes, of course, everybody understands that things go up in price. But I mean, we've just done a very casual look this morning at what jobs are available in various councils up and down the country. And I mean, you probably wouldn't be amazed if I told you that there were many, many jobs worth over £100,000 currently being offered uh, to candidates to apply for, many of which you might say are probably surplus to requirements. I think fundamentally the problem is that there is no um, accountability except at elections. So people are not, they're not aware of necessarily the the waste and bureaucracy that goes on in some councils. Now, that's not to say there are not huge pressing pressing problems, particularly demographic problems uh, and the difficulties, particularly dealing with older people Mm. and social care. And all governments have struggled to get a handle on that. And it's not getting any easier because the number of over 80s is not going down, it's going up. And relative to the number of people actually working and paying taxes, so that's going to be difficult. Personally, I think it was a mistake for the previous coalition government to get rid of the Audit Commission, because in the Audit Commission, although it could at times be slow and bureaucratic, at least you had that body... Uh, a bit like the National Audit Office for Mm. central government, which was able to intervene, undertake inquiries and investigations into poor spending. And you don't really have that now. And so, yes, you do have the sanction of local elections, but unless it's a really egregious mismanagement or borderline criminal activity, uh, councillors are are very, very unlikely to be chucked out of office. And, And the other thing is, you don't have the strength of leadership sometimes in local councils to stand up to these official, uh, you know, these senior officers, chief executives, directors of mm. finance and others who are sometimes making mistakes. So I do think you need, in some respects, you need more power to hire and fire those kind of people and to make them properly accountable. Yeah. I mean, I think people are seeing more and more uh, wastage going on in the public sector. I mean, we haven't even mentioned in the private sector, there's that story on the front page of The Sun today um, about an energy company rewarding its salespeople uh, by taking them to the Maldives on a trip for eight days because they've got so many new customers. But we saw yesterday the rather profligate spending by some government departments. You know, uh, it's not just a Tory problem, it's a Labour problem as well. You know, the system for many people, when they look at it, seems to be kind of stacked against them. You know, if you're working in the public sector, you're getting a pay rise. If you're working in the public sector, you're getting a great pension. But if you're not, you're going to have to suck it up. Yeah, there was always the quid pro quo that you had modest salaries in the public sector, but that you always had a very good pension. Yeah. And to a certain extent, it was the other way around in the private sector. Mm. I think the public sector's definitely caught up. I mean, when t- people talk about how poorly paid teachers and nurses are, they were probably poorly paid 10 or 15 years ago. Yeah. They're not poorly paid in the absolute no, terms absolutely now. Not. I mean, I think the average nurse after five years is on about 35, 36,000. Yeah. The average teacher earns 42,000 pounds a year. Now, they're clever people, they're professionals, I accept that. But they're not on the sort of salaries 
uh, you know, near national minimum wage. They're professional people and being paid well, and they're going to get a good pension. And a lot of teachers, of course, do retire quite early at senior level. Oh, yeah. Um, the last two teachers at my daughter's secondary school uh, have uh, retired in their mid-50s because their pension pot was full up and there was no point in them carrying on. I think you have to look at the pension system to try and retain people, if at all possible. There were all sorts of things that we could do. I think it's not true to say the public sector is all profligate, but I don't think there are um, the appropriate checks and balances in place to make sure people are taxpayers' money is being spent properly. Yeah. Well, let me give you... I'm, I'm just going to give you four examples plucked out of our extensive research department here at Talk TV Towers, right? Um, Director of Children and Families, Sheffield City Council. Now, I accept that that's probably quite an important job. Um, however, uh, the amount of money you're going to get is prodigious. £113,869 per annum uh, is one of my favourites. Assistant Director of Sports, Leisure and Parks. Now, this is Assistant Director, mind you, not in charge, in the London Borough of Waltham Forest. Um, the pay will be as high as £95,000 a week. Uh, it's a permanent job. It's a full-time job. And how about this one in Hackney? Workforce Equality, Diversity and Inclusion Officer, £61,206. I mean, it's quite a lot of money to be spending when we're all being told there isn't any money. Well, the, I have to say, and it's not just the public sector, there is a case to be made that the diversity, equality uh, agenda is a racket yeah. and that people in it are helping their mates to get into jobs uh, it isn't directly um, directly contributing to the effectiveness of an organisation. And I have to say, since the Equality Act 2010, why would you need specific bespoke people to do that job? It's a legal requirement mm. not to discriminate against people, to right. have diff people from different backgrounds. Why are you paying people 60, 80, 100,000 pounds a year, particularly in the health service, where these jobs are, are everywhere? Um, well, it's, imagine, it's if you're, imagine if you're living in Hackney where this job is being offered, um, you'd be doing rather well to be making 61,000 quid in the private sector. That's a very, very good salary. Um, and I think that's where the equality problem is. There's no equality uh, between people who are on the gravy train in the public sector and people who are striving to drive their van every day to do a job of work for which they get taxed very heavily and for which Sadiq Khan is now trying to screw them even further uh, with even more taxes on their cars. Yes, exactly. And I think people don't begrudge paying public sector people, quite rightly, good money. I always said when I was an MP and I got into trouble, you know, take the best teachers and pay them a huge amount of money, but sack the rubbish ones. Yeah. And that seems to me pretty, pretty straightforward and common sense and logical. People don't mind that. But when they are paying for what they see as extraneous Mickey Mouse jobs that don't actually deliver good services and efficient services for uh, for local council taxpayers i think that's when they get cross about it yeah. and they they get quite cynical about politics and government which isn't great it really isn't final um a thought for me uh, have you got a message for the, your fellow peer lord mandelson the dark lord uh, he still seems to be shuffling about in the background uh, trying to unravel brexit <laughs> <laughs> well of course i read that uh, report about this sort of ditchly compromise this secret meeting that mm. they've had which Gove and others have attended uh, all I would say is David Lammy, Peter Mandelson, Ollie Robbins, Tom Scholar they're not particularly great friends of Brexit and this protestation that you know they're not going to roll back they, uh, Brexit and they're not going to seek to rejoin 
I'd like to see the colours of their eyes, really, because they're not friends of Brexit. And actually, if you look at Brexit, there's a lot of nonsense spoken on the third anniversary. You know, we can do our own stuff on animal welfare, on free ports. We've done our own stuff on free trade agreements, COVID vaccines, uh, tax reform. Um, we're freeing up £100 billion for investment under the Edinburgh scheme to the City of London. And we're not paying in huge amounts of money to the EU. It's early days. And to say Brexit is a failure is nonsense. I mean, we've had COVID, we've had Ukraine, uh, and we've had an economic downturn. I think Brexit will be a success in the long term. Uh, and um, hopefully, you know, people will see that in the next year or so. Good stuff. Uh, great to talk to you. Uh, Stuart Jackson, peer of the realm, of course. Lord Jackson of Peterborough talking about a great many things there. Uh, there'll be matters arising from that. We'll take your calls on them. 0344 We're going to keep on uh, the public sector and the council tax rise going up. We've got more jobs to offer for you, uh, which are really, really mind-bogglingly well paid uh, in all sorts of councils up and down the country. You can tell us what you get in your local council services basket. Not very much, I would reckon. Uh, not much recycling, you know, the roads are all hopeless. You've got absolute potholes everywhere. Uh, you've got terrible traffic. You've got terrible bus services. Not very good bin services. You know, what is any good out there that you aren't going to be paying an extra 115 quid for? What's the point? This is Talk TV. On the app, on your mobile, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Oh, here we go. One of the greatest broadcasting legends is back. It's a goal! Mark Saggers. It's a goal! He's furiouser than ever. It's a goal! White hot, high scoring, hackles up, heat of the moment, recap and review. It's a goal! Of all the weekend's essential sports. There's nobody in midfield! Sags is back. Yes! Come on! Look back with Saggers. Back in business, Sunday nights from 7 on Talk Radio and Talk TV. Get in! On the app, on your smart speaker, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Uh, good morning, uh, says Jolly Roger. Interesting fact for your viewers, council tax bans are the same for adopted and unadopted new build addresses. And unadopted get far less services and have to pay privately for those services. This would be presumably in areas where uh, there may not be, um, you know, water facilities that have to be sort of somehow connected up or gas facilities or uh, indeed uh, bin emptying facilities and all that kind of thing. Uh, we're going to be going through this with a fine tooth comb today because the news uh, that council taxes are going up makes the front page of the Daily Express this morning. Maximum council taxes coming. Uh, maximum council tax hikes coming as much as £115 um, a year is going to be the increase. And of course, looking at the inside pages, you get councils have got the green light to charge taxpayers for another year of wasteful spending. Highest council tax bills in the current financial year based on an average band D property. Rutland coming in at £2,300. Hastings in East Sussex, £2,219. Lowest council tax bills, funnily enough, Westminster and Wandsworth always come in at the bottom. Why? Uh, because they were Tory councils for such a long time. Uh, £872, uh, £865, respectfully. Um, let's talk to Elliot Keckler, Investigations Campaign Manager at the Taxpayers Alliance. Elliot, very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. Great to be on. Thank you very much for, for, for coming on. I mean, it's not difficult, is it, when you start investigating uh, councils and what they do with their money to discover acres and acres of jobs which are available for very, very high salaries. Um, I read a few out just now to Stuart Jackson, Lord Jackson. Uh, here's one here. Uh, Service Di Director, Education, Participation and Skills, 
Plymouth City Council, uh, £80,000 to £111,430, which is a nice one. Senior Design and Heritage Officer, uh, this one's at uh, Kensington and Chelsea, £47,736. Not even sure what that job does. Um, here's one. Head of Strategy and Operations at Southwark Council, Panel Advisor, um, for 55,845 quid. I mean, the lists go on and on and on. We're going to be reading these out throughout the course of the day. The question a lot of people are saying are asking me is, what am I getting extra for my council tax hike that's coming in April? I think you're absolutely spot on in particular to uh, take aim at some of these top paid jobs. We produce our annual town hall rich list in which we look at the number of people that receive over £100,000 and over £150,000 in councils. And that's gone up year after year and went up to almost 3,000 people last year. And you look at, you know, some of the chief executives of these councils. I I was taking a look at the uh, job sites as well as you. And, you know, some of these chief executives are paid more than the prime minister. And, you know, whatever you think of the job the prime minister is doing, he has to, you know, govern a country of 65 million people not a council area of maybe only a few hundred thousand. So I think you're bang on to talk about that. Absolutely right. I mean, I remember when I worked up in Scotland, the boss of Edinburgh City Council, the chief exec, and this was back at the sort of beginning of this century, so we're talking kind of, you know, 2007, 2008, um, was making in excess of half a million pounds a year. And, of course, the answer mm. always was, oh, well, it's because they're dealing with such a big budget. The budget is more than £2 billion a year. You know, and for a city like Edinburgh, um, which doesn't need to be spending that kind of money, you know, they seem to have never-ending amounts of cash to just pour into all sorts of things. You know, we've got a lot of people this morning complaining about the sorts of things that are being spent. The councils complain um, of uh, basically... Gateshead is where I live as the second highest council, um, says Tony. The uh, council tax in the country. The council is closing all leisure centres and swimming pools in the area. Um, So they're cutting services back and yet they're charging more money. I mean, economically, that doesn't make any sense. Well, they're cutting services, they're hiking their own pay, and then they're hiking council tax at the end of the day. And I think the real myth here, and this is something that you hear from councils up and down the country, they say, we don't have any choice, you know, we're absolutely cash-strapped, we're cut to the bone already, we have to hike council tax. And it's a myth. We revealed last year how much they're spending going on international travel. Well, you know, maybe some councils should maybe take a train trip up or down to Harlow, where not only have they frozen council tax this year, they cut council tax last year. So Harlow, and there's many other examples are great 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 indicators of what choices councils have they have a choice to look at their own budgets look at how they're spending their money and make serious savings and efficiencies or they have alternative choice to keep their bumper pay packets and high council tax for residents mm. and they can't have it both ways i mean here's a good one from east sussex county council lost woods community development worker uh, 24,738 quid don't even know what that is. Uh, energy account officer, here's another one, £25,271 per annum. Um, and then once you get these jobs, of course, they are basically impossible to lose. So you get a job for life, effectively. Well, indeed. And, you know, you may end up working from home for most of the week. Um, I think, you know, up and down the country, you, you see councils making decisions and making decisions which end up harming taxpayers. This is how you end up with the Thurrocks, the Croydons, the Sloughs. And, you know, one other example in Sussex also is in West Sussex, where Aaron District Council has decided to spend half a million pounds of local taxpayers' money on a luxury bed and breakfast, i.e. engaging in wild property speculation. Yeah. And this is just, you know, one of the many, many decisions that, you know, at the time, council leaders and council bureaucrats are convinced is the right thing to do. And then years down the line, when the council ends up bankrupt because a load of property speculation has gone bad... Mm. 
they end up saying, oh, well, that was a bad idea, wasn't it? But now we're going to have to increase council tax because somehow we have to pay for the mistakes we've made. Yes. I mean, it seems ironic, doesn't it, that they talk about the amounts of money they have to deal with and the large budgets that they handle every single year. But they're clearly not qualified to handle that kind of money because they keep messing it up. Yeah, well, I think, I think you're absolutely spot on there. And, and, and this is precisely goes back to this point where it's quite difficult to get rid of council staff and, you know, for whatever reason. I mean, Croydon was the best example of that, right? So the Croydon chief executive who bankrupted the council not once but twice ended up getting a payout of around £600,000. It was extraordinary. Yeah. So I think you're, you're spot on there. And I mean, a lot of people sending me messages today as well about other things which are going up by more than the supposed 5% cap. Uh, Mark says Staffordshire Police Force uh, put up the, their uh, amount of money, uh, 12% last year. They're in special measures. They don't seem to have a regulation cap put on them like the council tax does. And similarly, fire services in Humberside are going up uh, in price as well. So are they not regulated by the, in the same way? It's slightly different for... Uh uh, the police precept and the fire precept, it depends where you live. Some, sometimes th that those precepts are included in the overall council tax figure and they aren't separate. But where they are separate, there's different caps. So sometimes it's £10 for, the, for a year, sometimes mm. it's £5. So, so it does work slightly differently. But really, up and down the country, wherever we see uh, councils and fire services and police forces give an inch, they invariably take a mile. Yeah. And I mean, what's your sense of um, any kind of pressure being put on local councils by central government? Um, to, to cut back. I mean, we know that care homes and, and the care sector is a massive problem for, for local councils, but somebody surely somewhere in Westminster should be looking at council tax budgets and saying, you know, surely we should be finding a way to reduce these and put a bit more pressure financially on these people and tell them to stop wasting everybody's money. Well, they had that chance, didn't they? They could have kept the cap as it was at 3%, you know, including a social care precept, which councils are able to charge. Yeah. They could have kept that cap as low as it was and said to councils, no, now is a time where you need to get seriously on your budgets. But unfortunately, in one of, you know, a, a, a number of uh, damaging decisions on tax made by the uh, current government in, in Westminster, they increased the cap to 5%, which basically gave not quite carte blanche, but but certainly a, a much, much freer reign to councils to hike council tax. And as you said at the start of the show, yeah. uh, uh, submit residents to another year of wasteful spending, which they're going to have to pay for. Yeah, absolutely right. And they still haven't ever fixed, have they, the banding arrangements, which were last sort of evaluated, if you like, in 1991. I mean, it's mad, isn't it? Yeah, it's extraordinary. And again, it's, you know, one of the many areas of tax reform where, you know, people have just kicked the can down the road endlessly and it's taxpayers that have to pay. Mm, it's shocking. Uh, very good to talk to you, though, Elliot. Thanks very much indeed. Elliot Cake, not bringing us too much comfort, I'm afraid, uh, in the way uh, that you'd like to hear it. He's the Investigations Campaign Manager at the Taxpayers Alliance. How about this from Roger? Mike, although my council tax is increasing significantly, I am getting something in return. They are now providing me with, wait for it, free bin bags. Well done. Um, do you have to go and get them, though, from an office? Because that's what you have to do in some places. Uh, Jeff says, I wish my council tax was going up by only 5%, but because of the incompetent morons who run Thurrock Council, they're putting the borough over £1 billion in debt, and the council tax is going up by 10%. Absolutely extraordinary. Um, Roger says this, uh, no, the difference between adopted and unadopted applies to new build estates with water, sewage and everything else, but no care for roads, no upkeep for street lighting, play areas, communal areas, litter control, fencing around communal areas and more. So that's what you're telling me is that you have to pay the same amount of money, but you don't actually get the same services in any way, shape or form. Mike, why can't the councils employ people to look at ways to reduce people paying council tax, says Steve, a sort of investigatory role? That would be worth the money, wouldn't it? Well, not necessarily, 
Because the problem is, is that every time the council gets involved in anything that involves public money, all they do is they spend more public money because they don't have any of their own. Um, here's one from Mark, who says, Mark from Bristol here, council tax in Bristol is going up to an extortionate amount to pay for 300 mobile speed cameras per day, extra garden furniture to put on the roads, and new road closed signs. Bristol City Council are busy crippling local businesses and small traders who need road access. The destruction of a once great city continues. Well, I think that's absolutely awful. And Neil in Walsall says, I'm under Sandwell Council Band D from March. I'm going to have to pay £35 for more for the year for my green waste to be collected. I mean, why are they even bothering with this kind of rubbish? Absolute nonsense is going on up and down our... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot... We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Country. Uh, we must crush them. We must talk to them. Uh, we must convince them that this is not the way forward. How are we going to do it? We're going to have to find a way. 0344 499 1000. Don't forget, there are local elections coming up in May, which are normally the place where you can tell your councillors exactly what you think of them. So perhaps that would be one way to send a message. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about uh, the low traffic neighbourhoods that are being pushed on every community up and down the country, uh, from Bristol uh, up to Manchester, back down to Oxford, down to Bournemouth, into London. All over the place, people are getting squeezed so that their cars are now becoming more and more of an expense, more and more of a burden, because that's exactly what they want. They want you to get out of your car and they want you to walk. They've got an app now uh, in London which tells you how to get around. And the first option it gives you is walking. This is how far it will take you, how long it will take you if you walk. It doesn't tell you which train to get. It doesn't tell you which bus to get. It tells you how to get there if you want to walk, because that's healthier. But I thought the air was all polluted and you might die. No, no, it's fine. It's better if you walk. Just walk past all the traffic, pumping out all those fumes because they're stuck in traffic because of the way the council's running the cities. Hopeless. Absolutely useless. And also, what is going on with these balloons? What are they really doing? Is anything weird happening around your area? Are alarms going off more? Are car alarms going off? I heard somebody's house alarm go off all night the other night. There's a lot of weird stuff going on. I want to hear from you. 0344 499 1000 is the number. This is Talk TV. 
Edgy talk, plain talk, unrivaled talk. Mike Graham, the only radio show you can count on for a proper serving of good old-fashioned common sense. In search of the perfect debate, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on DAB Plus, on the app, Talk Radio, and Talk TV. Good morning and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Lots going on today. We've got plenty to talk about. Alistair Carmichael MP uh, for Orkney and Shetland coming up. Uh, Lib Dem spokesman Home Affairs, Justice and Northern Ireland. He's been asking the government to sort out uh, the asylum seeker hotel problem uh, because, of course, what happened in Liverpool over the weekend is something that people had been predicting for quite a long time and something that will not stop happening uh, until uh, and until such time as the government actually gets to grips with the situation that they have themselves created. They keep saying they're going to move people out of hotels, but as to now, they haven't actually done it yet, and that is a massive problem. We're also going to be talking to Alistair about uh, the rise in crime, the figures we got yesterday, uh, which show that basically every kind of crime is on the rise. This is a, um, a report that came out of the House of Commons Library, and unfortunately for anyone who is a victim of crime, you know it to be true. You know absolutely uh, that if you get burgled, there's a very high likelihood that the person who did it won't be caught there's a pretty high likelihood that you won't even actually see any uh, police officer who's going to come uh, and tell you what it is they're going to do about it we've also just heard a report uh, that's come in from Walthamstow an area in sort of northeast London uh, where apparently four men uh, were stabbed in what can only be described um, as a mass brawl a mass stabbing event uh, inside of a pub in Walthamstow we'll keep you updated and we'll bring you updates on that Sarah says this Mike I vehemently oppose charging for GP appointments without legislation to change the funding model of the NHS GPs are funded by the number of patients registered not the number of patients seen. GP services form the largest private contractor to the NHS, albeit GPs are not directly employed by the NHS. They're eligible for the unfunded NHS pension. And then they whine about amassing the lifetime allowance before the pension will age of 55 years. The poor dears. Uh, the LTA is in excess of one million pounds. This is our money uh, and we should know what they're doing with it. Well, similarly, with the council tax rises that are going on up and down the nation, um, people are getting fed up to the back teeth. Let's talk to Alistair Carmichael uh, and see if he's got any remedies for us. Alistair, very good morning to you. Good morning to you, mate. Thank you very much for for joining us. Uh, The crime figures obviously are a great concern to so many people because they do affect ordinary people's lives on the streets of of our towns and cities right and the thing i've found recently and and it it even hit a tiny little um place a town in sussex that i know where somebody was stabbed you know nobody's ever been stabbed there somebody was stabbed just last week it seems to be afflicting all sorts of different communities now yeah absolutely it's across the board it's all communities across the country and the figures are going in the wrong direction Mm. in every way. So overall crime is going up. You've seen an increase of 12% in the first three quarters of last year. And as you say, that is things like thefts of cars, thefts from cars, uh, the house burglaries, all Mm. these things that have a very real impact on day-to-day life. There's a big worrying increase in, in violent crime as well. But at the same time, further down, that process so if you report that your car has been stolen or has been broken into then you find at the end of the day that something now like only five percent of all reported crime actually gets to the point of seeing a charge or a summons Mm. and you know that puts you into a really vicious circle because whatever the reason for people uh, creating you know committing these crimes the fact is that if anybody thinks that there is something they can do 
and they won't actually be punished for it at the end of the day, then the deterrent effect is gone. I think that's right, because seemingly the system from bottom to top is not really working, is it? Because there's a pretty good yeah. chance you will, one, get away with the crime. If you do actually get caught, there's a pretty good chance you won't be charged. If you do get charged, there's a pretty good chance that you won't ever go to court because the court system is blocked and jammed. And even if you turn up on the day concerned, some barrister doesn't turn up, the case is dismissed. If you do go to prison, uh, more than likely you'll have already served uh, or done about 20 crimes before you get there and you'll probably be released early. And when you do get released, you probably won't be very well monitored. I mean, I can't think of anything in the system that actually works at all. I think the other element you might want to put into that is that your time spent in prison is going to be pretty much wasted. Yeah. So, you know, people who end up in prison are often there because they've got lack of skills that are going to allow them to lead a normal life. The basics like reading, writing and counting. And when they're in prison, you could be doing something about that. And you could then give them the chance actually to make a fresh start if they were going to take that chance when they get outside. But yeah. none of that time is, is used productively. And, you know, you see, I've got enormous sympathy for our police officers because they seem to be everybody's whipping boy in, in many ways. And there are real problems with the way in which their time is used. Yeah. What you need to do is give them the power to get out back onto the streets, be a visible presence, which is a big deterrent effect on crime in, in our communities. So, you know, having people around, having police officers around those areas where you're going to see violent outbreaks, maybe late at night or early in the morning, that's a real deterrent effect. Having police going around streets so that they will see that there is somebody who's going to stop them breaking into or stealing a car. These are the things that make mm. a difference. And then people need to have the confidence that if they report a crime, if they phone 999, something will happen. Mm. And all too often that doesn't happen. So let's take a step back here. Let's get some of the politics out of this. Too many big initiatives, too many grand targets. Let's focus on getting the basics right so that people know that when they phone for police help, they will get yeah. it. I mean, because people. It, you are... know, it sounds ridiculous that we have to say that. Well, it but does. It just yeah. doesn't happen. It absolutely does. I mean, I was talking uh, and debating this subject last night on the talk, which is back tonight at 9 pm for those who, who missed it last night. Um, you know, this is a problem which is not really stemming from the police's inadequacies, but really more stemming from criminals. And I mean, I, I'm, I'm hesitant to blame the police too much. I agree with you that they're not doing their jobs as well as they should. But let's face it, the problem here is there are too many criminals and there are more criminals than there used to be, it seems to me. And why is that? I think that's the question we ought to find. Because what, what are their parents, the kids, in fact, who, you know, these kids who are getting caught stabbing each other, what are their parents yeah. doing? What are their parents saying? Look, there's a whole range of issues at play there, aren't there? There are, you know, I would suspect that a lot of these kids that you're talking about are ones who've been disruptive in school and probably been excluded yeah. from school. They are probably kids, dare I say it, that we could have identified the day they were born. Mm. And, you know, when it comes to giving kids a proper start in life, and I saw this look, many, many years ago. I started as, as a solicitor working in the criminal courts. Uh, I worked as a prosecutor, and then I worked as, as a defence solicitor. So you saw there was a pipeline leading to courts on their 1630. Spend the money right at the start, get them proper education, get them proper support, and then get them a proper education when they need it. And they, you give people the tools actually to make something mm. of their lives. And, you know, we just seem to have lost that skill. 
We do. And you've mentioned in your uh, social media feed as well the problems that we saw in Liverpool over the weekend. And yeah. you've asked for the government to come up with a proper kind of timeline, if you like, of what are we going to do about moving these people out of hotels? Because this has been uh, an accident waiting to happen, an incident waiting to happen. It's probably going to happen again somewhere else. You know, the numbers are, sh uh, are just too big now to ignore. Mm. Um, they keep saying they're going to move people out of hotels, but they haven't done it. Yeah. Look, first up, let's just be very clear about this. What we saw at the weekend in Liverpool or in Merseyside was inexcusable. You know, there is absolutely no excusing that sort of incident. But sadly, we know how these things work. Mm. And this sort of thing is only going to get worse unless we do something about it. Yeah. And when you've got a home office that only processes 4% of people actually asking for asylum then you know you realize that the, the hotel problem is one of the government's own creation there are lots of of you know there are easy cases at both ends of the scale people coming from afghanistan syria probably yemen very nearly always have their asylum applications uh, granted they're fairly straightforward so we could be dealing with them first to take them out the system at the other end there are people coming from albania for example where they are much less likely to have a successful asylum application and you could probably deal with them so you know it's not a long-term solution but if you want to get the system back functioning properly then pick the low-hanging fruit first, and that takes the pressure of numbers off the system so that the difficult cases in the middle can actually get the proper attention that they deserve. But it's a bit like the NHS waiting list, isn't it? They're never going to really catch up, as long as there are still... I mean, there's already 2,000 people have arrived since the beginning of January, um, so I'm afraid the numbers continue to increase. And no matter how quickly you might want to um, process people who are already here, you know, unless you stop the flow of people coming then you're never going to reduce the numbers, are you? Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, if you look at what we have done with people coming seeking refuge from Hong Kong and from Ukraine, for example, you know, that has been an orderly process. You very rarely find people from Hong Kong or Ukraine in small boats coming across the channel. So the lesson that I take on examining that evidence is that actually if you do give people safe and legal routes, then you will find that you cut off the business supply of, of those who are bringing them across in those small boats. It really isn't rocket science. It's just follow the evidence. Do you not think, though, because of the amounts of money involved, it's now becoming a bit like the drugs trade? I mean, these human traffickers are making millions and millions of pounds a week, you know, and therefore the attraction for doing it is huge. The, the, uh, yeah. the, the idea that you can somehow just tell them to stop doing it is ridiculous because, you know, it's a bit like telling drug dealers to stop dealing drugs. Yeah, but, you know, you, you, you have a really good point there, Mike. I absolutely agree with you. Um, and this is the way it has worked around the world and down through history. If you go back to America in the 1920s and the 30s, where they prohibited the uh, sale of alcohol, you didn't actually stop people no. drinking alcohol. You just created this whole class of bootleggers mm. who made a lot of money. And that's the point that I'm making when I talk about Ukraine and Hong Kong. You know, from Ukraine and Hong Kong, we took away the bus the flow of business for these criminals. Mm. Uh, and, you know, as a consequence, they're getting no trade from Hong Kong and, and from Ukraine. You could do the same for other flashpoints 
places like Afghanistan, where you know we have got a lot to answer for in the last 20 years. No, absolutely right. What about um, Valentine's Day? I don't want to put a downer on anybody, but uh, according to figures that I've got here, romance fraud counts for about £317 million pounds of, uh, of money that's been conned out of people's purses and bank accounts in the last four years. I mean, it, it's, it's a horrible thing to think about on a day like this, but, I mean, what is it exactly? Well, look, I mean, it's exactly that. It is, look, fraudsters are utterly vicious, you know, indefensible mm. human beings. And we're talking about, valent you know, romance fraud, as we call it, because it's Valentine's Day and it gets people's attention. But it's just taking advantage of people's loneliness and vulnerability. And, you know, I want to find a, a life partner and maybe that affects their judgment. And it's the same people who will then be phoning up your grandfather or your grandmother or your elderly mm. parents even trying to con them out of their savings, sometimes to the tune of thousands of, of pounds. Yeah. And, uh, you know, for, we've been talking about crime figures the crime figures that we are talking about are actually the government's own fiddled crime figures because they take fraud out of these figures. Mm. So when you hear me saying it's gone up by 12%, it's actually gone up an awful lot more than that if you put fraud back into it. And, you know, whether it's, it's internet scams or telephone fraud or, you know, any of the other number of different ways that people for criminals find to take people's money off them um it's only getting worse and it is you know when you've got a police force that is under the caution the way that it is because they are not able to do the core functions out in the streets and the communities then you know the chances of them getting to tackle the sophisticated mm. online and telephone scams that you see are vanishingly small yeah Final question, Alice, just because it's the, it's the sort of story in everybody's lips, this Chinese balloon story, which I find one of the most bizarre stories uh, in the history of, uh, of, of all of the journalistic work that I've done over decades. I'm not quite sure what's going on. Um, I'm not sure Rishi Sunak's reassured anybody by saying that he's going to keep us safe by shooting whatever it is out of the sky. What do you make of it? Well, you know, if I'm looking for reassurance, Rishi Sunak is very rarely my first <laughs> port of call. Um, and you're right, it's utterly bizarre. You know, balloons, this is 19th century technology yeah. um, in 21st century espionage. I think, though, there is a serious, I mean, in as much as I know anything about it, I, I think there is a serious issue underpinning it. And that is our relationship with China. Yeah. One of the few pieces of good news today is that the governor of Xinjiang province in the west of China, Eric Tunias, who was going to be coming here to have a cup of Earl Grey tea and a, and a cucumber sandwich in the Home Office, has now said he's not going to come because people like myself, Ian Duncan Smith, Chris Bryant and others pushed back and mm. said that this was not acceptable. Yes. And, uh, you know, the, the truth of the matter is that China is a country with whom we have had an unbalanced relationship for the last two, three, four decades. And we are going to have to really go some to rebalance that relationship. Now, you know, we've fallen over ourselves to take Chinese money into our higher education for trade of all sorts. Um, into our infrastructure, the oil and gas industry in the North Sea, you know, we are massively dependent on it. Uh, and, you know, at the same time, Chinese think that that buys them 
our silence mm. when it comes to human rights. It, uh, you know, in the Uyghur population are the subject of a genocide now. You saw what they did in Hong Kong, just disregarding the commitments that they had made 30 years ago. And you can see what's happening in the Ukraine, you know, with Russia, um, because Russia regards Ukraine as a part of their territory. Yeah. Exactly the same thing is true of Taiwan and China, uh, because Taiwan is, a, is an independent country, but China regards it as part of theirs. And you can be pretty certain that if Russia is allowed to do what they want in Ukraine, then China will read that as mm. a signal to do what they want in Taiwan. And none of that is ever going to work in our national interest then. No, indeed. Alistair, good to talk to you. Thanks very much indeed. Alistair Thanks. Carmichael, MP for Orkney and Shetland. Uh, Lib Dems spokesman as well on uh, Home Affairs, Justice and Northern Ireland. He's always been one of the acceptable faces of the Lib Dems, as far as I'm concerned, Alistair Michael. Uh, some interesting thoughts. And also, like me and you, very concerned about the asylum problem, uh, the illegal migrant problem, uh, the hotels that are being filled uh, up and down the nation. Uh, people are not happy about it. And what happened in Liverpool, I'm sure, is just a harbinger of what is to come in the future if this government doesn't sort themselves out. 0344 499 1000. We want to hear from you. We'll take some calls. How about this uh, from Dodo? He said, it's times like this when you realise the poll tax was a good idea. Everybody pays for local services. Well, I always thought it was a good idea, actually. Maybe they should bring it back. This is Talk TV. Online on DAB+, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Good afternoon and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here until 1 o'clock. Ian Collins will be along after that. And of course, it's Kevin O'Sullivan from 4 in for Vanessa Felt. 7 o'clock, it's Jeremy Carl live. I'll be making an appearance on there. Uh, Piers Morgan Uncensored from 8 uh, coming up in the, uh, the starring uh, role. Richard Tice and Isabel Oakshot sitting in for Piers. Uh, and then it's a talk from 9 o'clock. Coming up in this hour, we're going to talk about air pollution, right? Not just any old air pollution, but the air pollution that apparently is supposed to be killing us all. Uh, according to Sadiq Khan, he wants to expand his ultra-low emission zone uh, to include large areas, not just in London, but around London as well. We're going to be speaking to Councillor Colin Smith, leader of Bromley Council, uh, which is down in the sort of southeast corner uh, of this country, uh, just around about uh, where Kent meets London. Uh, it's a lovely part of the world. It's a place I go to and drive through on quite many occasions. Uh, of course, for people that live there, though, uh, come August, it will become a much more expensive place to drive around. There is a massive rebellion going on around Sadiq Khan's ideas. And if you think it's only happening in London, you're mistaken because we're getting complaints from Ipswich. We're getting complaints from Oxford. We're getting complaints from Manchester, uh, from Glasgow, from Leeds, from Poole, from Bath, from Bristol, from Bournemouth. All of these towns copying what Sadiq Khan wants to do uh, and basically become the enemy of the motorists. And the problem for an awful lot of people that live in these areas is that there is simply no alternative means of transport. There are no buses to speak of. Uh, there is no tube. There is no train service that goes from point A to point B. Uh, there are plenty that go from point A into London and from point B into London. But trying to go from A to B can't be done. Let's talk to Colin Smith, uh, who has joined many other leaders of councils around London uh, who are against Sadiq Khan's manoeuvres, not least this time because he's deliberately misusing data. Colin, a very good afternoon to you. Afternoon, Mike. Thank, Thank you for having me on. Not at all. Thank you very much for, for joining the fight, is, is what I'm going to say to you, because we've spoken to a lot of people from Bexley, uh, from up in um, sort of Uxbridge area, from Harrow, uh, from Sutton. You know, there's a growing number of guys like yourself in very, very um, ordinary areas of, of Britain uh, fighting for the people to have the right to actually travel around without being fined practically every five minutes. 
Very much so, Mike. Um, there isn't a problem with air quality in Bromley. This is just a tax raid, pure and simple. Mm. We, we know uh, we have the cleanest air in London, marginally behind Havering. We know that we have cleaner air than every single borough already in the mayor's wretched ULES scheme. Um, we know from the mayor's own reports that if he does get away with introducing ULES out to the M25 boundary, air quality will barely improve a flicker. Um, that's why we're all so keen to fight it. Our residents simply can't afford a tax rate raid at this stage of the economic cycle. And there's no need for it. It's going to affect jobs. It's going to affect care networks, uh, which is why we're all pretty passionate about trying to stop it. Absolutely right. And I mean, research by uh, Imperial College London um, shows, he says... Um, that Bromley has the highest premature death rate linked to air pollution. Uh, he says an estimated 204 lives were lost in 2019. But you're saying he's using dodgy data, right? Uh, to put it mildly, um, it's also illogical. It's not rational what he's arguing. Mm. Our air is self-evidently cleaner than the other boroughs, as I've already touched upon. What he also, uh, what this report also doesn't take account of, is that we've got the most elderly profiled population in London, right. and sadly, old people, unfortunately, tend to die more often than young people. Right. Um, it doesn't take account of where people used to live in their younger lives. Lots of people living in Bromley today spent their childhoods and younger years in central London before moving out during the times of the smog pub, you know, smoke-filled pubs and clubs, etc. Yes. Um, and it also doesn't take account of the fact that places like Bromley have a whole bunch of care homes um, which attract people on average for the last two years of their lives. And a lot of those folk are brought into the borough having lived elsewhere for mm. a long, long time by families who want to be close to them for their final couple of couple of years. Right. So it, his, his methodology... You, I think you used the word dodgy. I think that's been rather kind, but <laughs> hey-ho, that's, that's what he's up to. Yes, but isn't it interesting that he's only recently, relatively recently, become obsessed with the sort of quality of the air in London? Because, you know, unfortunately for me, I drive in London every day, so I see the results of his congestion charging. I see the results of his kind of changing of the road maps, uh, the way that, you know, cycle lanes have been built and the way that bollards have been put in and low traffic neighbourhoods have been created. And I can't believe that all of the congestion in London is not making the pollution worse. And he's causing it. Um, I hear what you're saying about the central London boroughs, cycle networks, etc. I've read about those with interest but that's not such so much of a problem out in the sticks here. Right. Um, what the mayor is actually up to here, the reason he's obsessed and he's using air quality as a health scare, as a cover story, um, what the local borough leaders have seen in the last uh, week or so is his network of cameras that he's trying to impose. And it is just a huge network. There will be no escaping via the back doubles it's impenetrable mm. and what he's actually up to here is he's getting a network of cameras across London so that he can at a flick of a switch ch turn to road price charging without any ifs buts or debates and mm. um, that's actually what he's up to and that's why people need to hold him to account.
He's, he's out of control. So do you suspect this is a bit of a Trojan horse then? Is that what you're saying? Definitely. Mm. It, it, it is a fact that he has a, a fair battery of nay army at work at City Hall preparing for road price charging. Right. Well, because he's got nowhere else to go, really, I suppose. I mean, I made a, I made a rather um, ridiculous statement back in sort of October, before the October statement came out. Uh, I said, well, I can't see where they can put taxes up anywhere. But Sadiq Khan is a very, very clever man, and he's managed to find some genius ways of putting more taxes on ordinary people. Well, that's what he is doing. Um, can you use the word clever? I would perhaps use the word crafty, um, <laughs> but... <laughs> he's getting away with it as things stand. Yes. And if I could leave your, your your viewers with one real thought, Mike, it's he doesn't particularly care what conservative council leaders in conservative leaning mm. boroughs have to think or say. Right. Well, this is a man who was uh, quoted, and I saw the the footage of him yeah, saying it on what camera. He really cares about. Yeah. I mean, sorry, we're just losing you slightly. I mean, this is a guy who was caught on camera not really caught on camera because he knew he was on camera, saying in a, a hearing that was being held at City Hall um, that he believed that Tories didn't care about the lives of young people, more or less accusing them of allowing them to die uh, from air pollution. An extraordinary statement. Well, that's, again, I don't, I don't like personal politics. I, I don't get involved, but I think that's pretty low behaviour and I wouldn't want to engage in that. But, Mike, just to finish the point... Yeah. The one point where this guy can be pressured is through Labour politicians. And if I could urge your readers, sorry, your listeners, to think in terms of writing to Labour councillors, yeah. writing to Labour MPs, writing to Labour GLA assemblymen, we know they're we know they're jittery about this. They're under pressure, and the more pressure they can be put under, the more potential there is for them to break. Mm. So. That would be my request if you're uh, yes. subscribers. Well, we'll certainly to, ask them to ask together. them to do that. What What do you know about the polit the, the the sort of um, legal position? Because we've spoken to a lot of uh, sort of colleagues of yours around different parts of the councils, and nobody seems quite sure what the legal position is. Our legal position, and you'll have to excuse me, Mike. I can't talk about detail on this pain of death or worse type of a situation if I, if, if I drop the ball on this one. Um, our legal position will become public knowledge quite literally over the course of coming days. And I think that will be a lot clearer to all interested parties how we think we might be able to stop it. But yes. it's going to go to law and it's, you know how it is with the law. There's nothing certain. We'll have to articulate the cases best we possibly can. OK. Well, listen, Colin, great to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. That's Councillor Colin Smith, leader of Bromley Council, uh, who wants to fight um, this expansion of the ULES zone because it's not just, as uh, we were hearing from Colin, um, a ridiculous attempt at actually making the motorist pay yet more money into the coffers of City Hall, but it's also a kind of Trojan horse to open the door. And this will happen, ladies and gentlemen, up and down the country, believe me, to road charging. And what that means is that by the mile, per mile, you will pay to drive in certain places. So when you enter London, for example, or Manchester, or Glasgow, or Leeds, uh, or uh, Truro, or Exeter, you will pay a fee to drive on the road. That's where they're going with this. 
I kid you not. So do get in touch with Labour councillors. If you're from that area in South East London, uh, you should do that. But you should also do it everywhere you go. I've got a tweet about Ipswich coming up in a minute, which I'm going to tell you about, because they're up to no good as well when it comes to reorganising traffic flow and blanking streets off so that you can't even go there. Let's talk to Carol, who's in Worcester. Hello, Carol. Hello, Mike. How are you doing? Good, thank you. Good. What can I do for you? Um, a couple of things regards to the migrant mm. crisis. Yes. Regards to the hotels, I don't understand why people aren't insisting that if they want to put them in hotels, why can't they use Mayfair, Kensington or Chelsea? Yes, good idea. Also, also regards um, the migrants who come over on the boat, if they've got paperwork, they should be processed immediately. Mm. If they haven't got paperwork... And they also go into a secure detention centre, treat it humanely, but not luxuriously. Yes. If they let you know where they're from, then they can be processed. If they refuse, then they're just kept there indefinitely until they change their minds or they agree to be deported or are deported. Yes. Yes. No, I think I think so many people would go along with what you're saying and would agree with you, Carol, because enough is enough, I think, is the point that we want to say to these politicians. Gary is in Cornwall. Hello, Gary. Hi, Mike. How are we doing? Good, sir. What can I do for you? Council tax. Yeah. The, the, the 5% increase is bad enough, but uh, what a lot of people don't take into account are all the new homes that are being built everywhere. Yes. And that revenue coming into the council. So they'll get even more money, won't they, of course? Of course they will, yeah, but no, nobody ever takes that into account. You know, there's 50-odd thousand homes being right. built in Cornwall. Yeah, our council tax still keeps shooting up. Yes. Now they're doubling council tax on, or hoping to, double council tax on second homes down here. Mm. They got, well, they got more money than they know what to do with, but the only thing they seem to know what to do with it is to, to waste it. Well, he's it. And we've got some councils apparently are sitting on piles and piles of money, hundreds of millions of pounds. Yeah, well, that, apparently Cornwall's completely the opposite of that. We're about 60 million into debt. <laughs> now they want to make us into uh, a mayoral county, so we get... Oh, great. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you get even more people to pay the salaries for. Well, more, more and more. But the other thing is, Mike, is I've got a friend who uh, works on the roads, mm. and he was asked to go back and work for the council on £10 an hour. Yeah. And he said, no, I'm not coming back to work for you. He said, I'm working for a, a subcontractor on £15 an hour doing the work that you want me to do. Yes. You know, they're underpaying as well as overpaying. Rather than pay the, pay the going rate, they're now having to go through subcontractors because they can't get any of their own staff. And that's because they're just not paying enough money. So they end up paying, oh. what, you know, 15%, 50% more of the money. Well, 50 plus, because he, he's just a labourer. His boss is going to take a cut off his £15 an hour or on top of that. Yeah. They're probably paying double for subcontractors to do the work. It's crazy, isn't work. it? Absolutely yeah. crazy. And I'm told a lot of councils as well are sort of subcontracting out the even running of the actual council itself. Yeah, yeah. So how much is that costing? Apart yeah. from what you've highlighted today, hundreds of thousands, mm. 60, 70,000. Yeah. It's, it's a crazy way of going on. It's
It's the most ridiculous system I've ever, I've ever seen. This was a tweet I got earlier. Thank you very much to D, Gary. This is a tweet I got earlier from uh, Ryan, who says, it's also worth noting lots of councils are now run and administrated by third-party businesses like Engie, uh, who use other third parties to deliver the services. Councils used to deliver most services direct, not anymore. Well, most of us see, uh, I, I would imagine, uh, those commercial operators emptying your bins. They're generally not employed any longer by the council. They're usually a Bellio or somebody else, some other big company, uh, it's all uh, contracted out because supposedly it saves the council money because they don't have to pay pensions. Well, hang on a minute. But they're paying 75% to 80% of all council tax revenue that they bring in from you because you pay it goes towards pensions and goes towards salaries. And there are plenty of salaries. Here's one now. Health intelligence analyst. This is one uh, from the um, Southwark Council here in London. The Public Health Division is looking to recruit a health intelligence an an analyst to the knowledge and intelligence team. The role will entail working with other members of the division, children and adults department and NHS partners. I don't know what any of this means. Um, the post holder will be accountable to the head of health and well-being. And apparently the recruitment timetable is we're open until um, the 1st of March 2023 um, and you will be interviewed by the 13th of March 2023. The job will pay between £44,000 and £51,783. It's full time though, so at least 36 hours. I mean, blimey. 0344 499 1000 is the number. We'll take more of your calls coming next. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So if you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1 Monday to Friday on Talk Radio via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.